Well, hello everyone and welcome to Acts chapter 10. And it is such a wonderful lesson. Boy, I'll tell you, I was so right, wasn't I, when when I said picture these, picture these lessons. And when you picture these lessons, it's it's um well, it just makes it more real and it, it puts you right in the middle of the story and I think you feel it deeper. And so uh, have your Bibles out, would you? And and say with me, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true and it's all that I need. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of those statements. Your word is true and we can trust it. So as we go into this lesson, may our hearts be wide open. May our ears be receptive to your voice because you are going to be speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we just talked about, I told you, it was one of my favorite chapters, and I mean it. I love to hear about Saul's conversion. It just shows, um, he's such a demonstration of you and I, and especially from a religious background, like many of us are, we are, we are very structured in our religion, and and we have belonged to churches, and and. And that's, that's who Saul was, very structured, intellectual, very religious, believed it completely. And yet, what a demonstration of, of being so religious and believing you're right and being wrong. And a religion without a personal, and I mean personal, relationship with Jesus, you're missing it all. And that's what the gospel message is. And that's why, again, it's so important that as we studied Matthew and John, and then I said, let's go into Acts, because now we've got to watch how this gospel was brought to the world and how it is the one and only story of salvation. And so last week, we we watched Saul being humbled and I think that was a key word last week. We need to know that that our first, the first part of any salvation message, whether it be yours or mine or anyone's, is that we need to see ourselves the way we truly are, how lost we are, how desperate we are. And so Saul was knocked down to the ground, and this bright light, which again, that's not coincidental. When Jesus came as the light and he had, he had Saul just knocked to the ground and he spoke with such intensity, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul answered, well, who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And, and how he was put into a physical um, and and really spiritual. He was in his spiritual blindness, and now he's in a physical blindness. And he was alone and not eating or drinking, and he was thinking. He was sitting there thinking, well, where did all my religion get me? And and now he is, he is starting to open up his heart and mind, and Ananias comes to him and explains to him about, about Jesus and the 
gospel message. And, and you know, Saul was praying. Remember we talked about that at length last week, that, that Saul was praying. And it probably was his first prayer, praying in Jesus' name. It was probably his first prayer that he, he, was, he was acknowledging who he really truly was and his need for a Savior. And I think his whole prayer life, even though he had prayed many, many prayers, his prayer life has now begun totally new. And how, because of this change in him, when the scales came off his eyes and he physically and spiritually was able to see and how, you know, the, the verses that he wrote now make so much sense. And in that, in that when he writes 2 Corinthians 5, um, 17, therefore in Christ you are a new creation. Behold, all things are new. Behold, all things that were once old are now brand new. It's not just an old fix-me-up. We are new creations. And that is truly exciting. We can start. Our past is behind us. Our sins are under the blood. And the Holy Spirit now indwells us. And if we are willing to listen, we will hear a different voice. We will follow a different path. We will have a different reason for getting up in the morning. We will have a sense of worth and purpose. And then we kind of left um, Saul, which when he goes to the Gentiles, he'll be renamed Paul. But, but we kind of leave Saul for some years as he is, is being trained by, by Jesus and as he is being trained by the apostles. And so we kind of put him on a shelf for a few minutes and we go to Peter who, again, we see a drastic change in his heart. And it's kind of like, if you're not Dutch, you're not much, or I'm totally Dutch, and, and we walk around, we're so proud of our heritage, and rightly so. But along with our heritage, sometimes comes some real quirks. And Peter was one, a diehard Jew, and followed the rules too. And one of the rules was that Jews did not associate with, with um, Gentiles. And yet, we know that Jesus told them that this gospel was to go to, to Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, which meant the Gentiles. And how the Lord had to start working on Peter. And this is a beautiful trait. That, that the Lord doesn't pounce on us. He, when he changes our heart, he is doing this step by step. And so we watch Peter traveling now to, to towns like Lydda and Joppa. We were introduced to a man named Aeneas and to a beautiful woman named Dorcas. And we watch how Peter is now opening up the gospel to these areas. And then we, we ended last week with such a profound line that Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And, and again, that's really quite mind-boggling for any Jew to think 
Peter was staying with a man who worked with dead animals, which couldn't have been more of an unclean demonstration. And so here now, Peter, his heart, that's why I prayed what I did a few minutes ago, that our hearts will be open and that our ears will be ready to receive maybe something new, maybe something you never thought about before, or maybe the Lord is trying to extend you to understand in a deeper, in a deeper way. Because we have, in our, in our West Michigan area, we have gotten legalistic. We have made negotiable, biblical negotiables, non-negotiable, which has caused such confusion. And we have, st we have stood on our, on our heels and we have been determined to, to do our good works and and yet sometimes, and we saw this with, with, with Simon the sorcerer, how you can believe in your head and you can even quote verses and you can be so religious. If, we've, if we're learning anything these last few weeks, it is to take a look at ourselves and see how real we truly are. And have we been playing more of a religious game and didn't even know it? Is this relationship with Jesus real that the Holy Spirit is able to do in our hearts and change us? I mean, we're watching it happen to, to Saul and Peter, these die-heart religious men. But these men are in these chapters for you and I to, to kind of look at and say, could that be me? Could, could I have maybe been more religious than real? So now again, picture this as we go into the 10th chapter because this is major change. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, he was a, a Roman. He was um, an important man. He was a centurion. He was in charge of, of an Italian regiment of 100 men. And he lived in Caesarea, which was a gorgeous town on the Mediterranean. And he and his family were devout and God-fearing he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Now, when I had you answer that question, I, when, you would, when you wrote it down, at least for me, when I was writing these things down, I thought, my, he looks almost perfect. I mean, words like, he was a family man, he's devout, he's God-fearing, he gave, he had a generous heart to those in need, he prayed to God regularly. Maybe, maybe that's describing you. Maybe, I know for the longest time, it was describing me. And thought, uh, and then you read that and you think, wow, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm in a right relationship and you know what was missing here? You know who was mis missing in this explanation of who, who Cornelius was? And that was Jesus. And 
cannot stress enough. A relationship, a religion without Jesus is futile. It's, it's for nothing. It's useless. And that's why maybe so many people are walking around hopeless. Because Jesus is our hope. Remember we've been talking about those words that only Jesus can give us an understanding of their meaning. And you see, if you don't know Jesus personal, if you're not working at that relationship, if you don't want to know him more, like Paul said when we read that verse last week, I want to know him more. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of, of fellowshipping with him. And I want to know the power of the suffering that he had to go through. Because Paul understood that it was the suffering that got Jesus to the cross and, and he paid the price and Paul saw in his own life. It was the suffering that he had to go through for him to be able to sit in that rotten jail cell and write, and he will supply all my needs. And I can do all things through Christ be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul wrote, wrote all those verses sitting in that rotten um, jail in Philippi. And he had gotten to that realization because of suffering. And when you desire to know Jesus better, that's when you will start seeing the lights come on and you will see your worth and your purpose and you will start understanding those words of joy, of what real joy is. Even in the middle of all that's going on, you, can, you and I can have joy. We can have, we can have peace because we know. Because we know that we have a God who is in total control of all things. And nothing escapes him and nothing is done without reason. Even though we might not see it or understand it. We can know words like hope. That's the word hope. And you don't have hope unless you know Jesus Hope that will never disappoint you. That's what Paul wrote in Romans. He wrote that too. He wrote that there, there is nothing that life can throw at you that you can't or don't have hope. Because Jesus is hope. He's the light. He's our joy. He's our peace. He's our hope. Oh, what a this, this sometimes I get so excited because this relationship with the Savior is constant. It keeps growing. It keeps getting better. And these men are showing us that they are willing to let the Holy Spirit change them and work them out of their quirks so that their eyes can be opened farther. So Cornelius, as wonderful as he's described here, something is missing. And that something, someone is Jesus. One day, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. It was probably one of his prayer times. 
And so that meant he was open and willing to receive. And so he is praying and he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, boy, that'd get your attention, wouldn't it? When, when an angel of God, I mean, you don't, you know, you see this form of, of bright, like as he describes it later, he describes it later as a man in shining clothes. And then, then that man in shining clothes calls him by name, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him, at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, you might say, well, well, look, see, he, he's prayed, he's given gifts to the poor, and the Lord said that that's wonderful. And it, and it was, except that the, the Lord wanted Cornelius to know that that's just a start. He had a heart that was pliable, yet a heart that, that Jesus could work with. And so the angel said, your prayers and your gifts, and I mean, this was very noticeable to, to God. It's like God said, I can work with him. He's, he's, he's got a start. But it's not quite enough. It's not quite enough at all. But at least he's pliable. He's soft. He's workable. The angel went on and said, Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So very distinct instructions. And we know that they're true from what we read in the previous chapter. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. So he had two of his own personal servants, but then chose a soldier who was very devout. And he sent them. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them on now to Joppa. Now, verse 9, this is when I almost want to say to you, now synchronize your watches. Because God's timing, now we can say it, but this is a perfect example that God's timing is so perfect. I mean, when he timed this at 3 in the afternoon for Cornelius, and then, and then he has... At just the right time, Cornelius sends these two servants and the devout soldier and on to Joppa. And then about noon, figuring this time-wise, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on, on the roof to pray. You talk about a connection. How God is working in all these people here to synchronize it right at the right time. Peter went on the roof to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I'll tell you, 
God certainly knows how to get someone's attention, and he knows what to use. I mean, he just plain knows how to do it, because this is perfect. Peter is on the rooftop, and he's praying, and he's hungry, and while the meal's being prepared, he fell into this trance, and of course, when you're hungry, what all do you think about? It seems like when you're on a diet, every ad that you either read or see is all about food. And so, again, very logical for the Lord, this timing for him when Peter is hungry and he's in the, he's. He's kind of, and he's waiting, and he falls into this trance, and he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Now, did you picture that? Like heaven opening, this big sheet coming down, four corners, and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles, and birds, and then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, remember how hungry he was, and yet he sees all these four-footed animals, reptiles, birds, and the voice says, get up, kill and eat. And look what Peter's response was, an immediate reply, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. That was Peter's response. Now, Peter has come a long way, but he has got a long way to go. And that's you and me, too. This is the old Peter. This is the old Peter that wants to flash back, just like we see our own selves every now and then. We see that old nature kind of bounce back. And I hope that we hate it enough to get rid of it right away. Resist what is evil. I remember that's a line in God's word. Resist what is evil. Hate what is evil. And I'm finding that that is so far more than just bad things that are going on. Hate what is evil. Hate it when that old nature, that old self comes rising up again. Hate it. And then the verse goes on to say, and cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. I have to make a conscientious effort to hate what is evil. When I see this rise of my old self come up, I have to hate it enough to be able to then run to God's word, allow his Holy Spirit to remind me what I know, and I cling to God's promises. And this is the old Peter. Oh, surely not, Lord. I can't eat anything that's impure or unclean. I happen to write, you know, Peter has a bad habit. You know, we've all got him, and we all know when we've got to get rid of him. But this was one of Peter's bad habits. He just seemed to say no to the Lord. Like, like for instance, Matthew 16, verse 22 when Jesus predicted his death. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. <laughs> and, and you know what? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, this whole thing, you know, you, th you, you look at that and you think, well, Peter meant well. Yeah, but wonder if, I mean, what, what was the devil's goal? It's to keep Jesus from the cross. And the devil is so sly and tricky that sometimes he uses people you least expect. And here was your classic one of Jesus' own. You know, the devil was trying to use Peter to try to talk Jesus out of it. And then in John 13, 8, you remember this too, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And Peter right to Jesus' face says, no, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus' response was this, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Unless you allow me to wash your feet, you have no part of me. So, you know, here is just one of those uh, kind of right-in-your-face kind of things that make you think, what do I keep doing? What, what, what weakness do I have? As Peter was just so impulsive and he, he, you know, was so quick to say, no, no, that's not possible, or no, it's not right, even when it's coming right out of Jesus' mouth. Or maybe you're reading God's word and it's coming right out of Jesus' mouth. And maybe you're saying, yeah, but no, that's not for now. Or no, I can't possibly do that. Or no, it just doesn't work. Or this doesn't mean me. Or whatever excuse you want to come up with. But when it comes out of Jesus' mouth, who are we to say no? That is a bad habit. Well, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. You see, we're talking about a whole new era has now broken open. And maybe the Old Testament Leviticus law, the Mosaic law, maybe that was all in place, yes, for a very good reason. But Jesus has come to fulfill that. And so the voice is saying, no, things are different. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the she was taken back to heaven three times. There's that three again. Deep emphasis. You can't miss it. There's, there isn't any doubt when something is that clear three times. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate and they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. See this timing again, this synchronized timing? And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. A very clear message. 
is Peter willing to change? Or is he going to get stuck in his old way? Is he willing to listen to this voice that's telling him, I'm opening up a new way for you, Peter? I mean, we saw last week he started, he had Peter staying at the home of, of the tanner. And now, then you kind of see him kind of adjust, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't do this, I can't, no, I can't go that way. And then you hear the voice three times with a deep emphasis, come on, listen, Peter. The Holy Spirit, Peter was willing to listen to the Spirit, even though it was so contrary to what he had been raised with. When, when our hearts are changing, when Jesus wants to grow us and mature us, are we willing to open ourselves up? I remember sometimes when we study the book of Revelation, I will, you know, there's so many interpretations in that. And, and all I say when, when we start this study, all I say is, will you be willing? Because a lot of times we believe something because we're told to believe it. I mean, it, whether it's in our theology, our church, you know, our church theology or whatever, but, you know, this is what, you know, this is not what the Bible says, but this is what our church believes. And so when we begin a study of Revelation, I will simply say, and I won't take one side or another, but I say, will you just please open your heart and your mind and you're willing to let your ears be in tune with God's spirit that maybe he will show you through his word in his spirit a whole new way of thinking. Because this, this couldn't have been any a newer way of thinking. And what we see in verse 19, while Peter's still thinking about this, I mean, I'm sure he just can't hardly fathom. But yet the voice says, don't hesitate. These men, these three men are coming. And don't hesitate. Verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one. I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Now, I wrote in the, my sideline by my Bible, is obedience. You know, sometimes you might not understand. Like, like Peter, he's still wondering and he's still pondering and he's still thinking about this vision. He doesn't have it all together. He doesn't, he doesn't get it all yet. And yet, he's willing to be obedient. And I think that's such a key that Jesus wants to see in you and me. Are we willing to be obedient to his word, to his voice, even though we might not understand it all right now? When Peter said, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Now, you might, I did, had a little confusion with he was a righteous and God-fearing man. He was a righteous. And we know that our righteousness can only be, be made in us. We can only become righteous through the blood of Christ. We can only be bought back, made right through Christ. 
and, and Cornelius hasn't met Christ yet, so how can he be righteous? And, and I, I thought, and I, I kind of, when I saw the first verses of chapter 10, and now these verses describing him, he was stuck in the Old Testament. And that's how in the Old Testament, they were made right through their sacrifices, through their, their obedient life to God, through the prophets and through like Moses and Abraham and circumcision and all those kinds of things. And Cornelius is kind of stuck in the old way of thinking, that old school. He thought he had done everything in the old Judaism and so that's how they were made right. But see, the new has come. And so even though he thought he was righteous because of the old school and the old way of doing things, he really wasn't. He was God-fearing. And he was respected by the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So these were the instructions that, that um, were given to Peter when he said, why did you come? Well, we were sent by Cornelius. He's well respected by the Jewish people. Holy angel came to him and told him that you were to come to his house but, you know, when we read this story, you know, we know how it all turns out in that. But, again, when you put yourself right in the middle of it, I mean, these three strange men say, well, Cornelius, he was told by a holy angel um, to have, come and get you, and you were to come to his house. And, you know, you're talking about a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, clear through. And yet, Peter is willing to put himself aside. I'm so grateful that we saw, yeah, for, for a second there, we saw that old Peter. But then we saw his willingness to obey God's voice. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Oh, this is radical. This is so exciting. You know, between last week's lesson and this week's lesson, between two of the, the men that we so respect and, and love their writings and their truth and, and their lives. But we, we see them both in their hang-ups. And then look what happens to them when they come to Christ. Look at the changes that are, are maybe coming maybe a little more day by day. Maybe Peter himself was shocked first that he was staying in the house of a tanner. And then maybe he was shocked again, of course, when he saw this vision, this trance of these animals. And, but I think he's also watching himself change when he now invites these three men into the home as his guests. Just think, one life changed, how it can affect other lives that the Lord has in mind to change. I mean, what an example, what a witness for Peter as a Jew 
to welcome in these men, these Gentiles, into his house. What a witness, what a testimony. Then the next day, Peter started out with him. Now, you know, I, I, some of you have heard me tell this before, but I know some of you haven't. So the one thing that popped into my head was when Peter was asked to do something so contrary to what he thought his calling was. I have for many years, you know, I have known what my calling is and, and to whom and, and what I'm supposed to do. And for years it was singing and, and, and it was anywhere. It was, I, wasn't, I didn't have to have so many people in an audience or anything like that, but that was my calling. I did these concerts and I would go into these different places and, And then the Lord started opening doors for me to teach Bible study. But, but all along the way, as I look back, he is totally stretching me and training me and getting me to the next level of knowing him better. And one of the examples, one of the things that happened to me that was very much life-changing was when our youngest son, Jason, was involved in a ministry called Golgotha. And he and his wife, for seven years, ministered to, there was a, at that time, there was a segment, a section of people that, young people that, well, they craved attention so much that they didn't care even what kind of attention they got. And so they would just dressed so outlandishly. They, they would be all in black and they would put white makeup on and they would, um, their eyes were real blackened and, and they were spooky. If you ask me, they were spooky. And they were, they were very obstinate. They were just difficult. And it was, again, just a cry for help. But I didn't know that then. I just thought they were strange. And I just wondered. And I said to Jason, I said, well, why, why are you working with these kind of people? And he said, well, because no one else will. <laughs> Good answer, what do you say? Well, one, one time, I mean, in fact, I mean, it's kind of like if you were walking downtown Holland, you would see a group of these. Uh, you would be glad if you were on the other side of the street. I mean, that's, that's the norm, I would say, for the norm of, of us listening here today. I would say the, the majority of us would look across and say, oh, no, that's odd. They scare me. They're weird. But, I mean, hey, more power to my boy. I was, I mean, he had such a good heart, and I just thought, well... But I knew my calling. I'm supposed to get all of my dress singing clothes, and I'm going to go out and sing, and... One day, Jason asked me, he says, uh, you know, we meet in the, in the skate park. And he says, can you just come and bring cookies? And I said, hey, you know. He said, those, he said you'd be surprised, those kids. They, they would just give anything for a cookie. And I thought, well, that's the least I can do. I can make cookies. And so I made a bunch of cookies. And, and um, I said to Jason, I said, okay, then what time do you want them there? And he said, well, you know, he told me the time. And he, he said, uh, and 
and I'll be looking for you. And it's okay, so when I pull up, then you just come to the car, and then, then I'll give them to you. He said, no, Mom. When you get there, you park, and you get out of the car. And I said, Jason, I can't do that. I mean, you know, I said, we, do, we, don't, we don't relate. For one thing, I'm your mother. I mean, I'm old. And that, that's, that's right away, that's a division. I mean, I'm old, and they're young. And, and, I, and I look this way, and they look that way, and we just couldn't be more different. There's just no way they would relate to me. And he said, you get out of the car. And I just knew that this was one time I was supposed to really obey him. And I drove up, and I was nervous. I'm going to tell you, I was nervous. And I parked the car, and I got out of the car, and I, I walked with my cookie box, and I had no idea what to do next. I didn't know where to go. They were all around, and I didn't know what to do. And Jason, he knew I was there. He was just kind of waiting for me to figure it out. I saw some standing together by the fence, and I felt security, I guess, in that fence somehow, and I just walked up to the fence, and I said, hi, I, would you like a cookie? And Do you know that that was the last thing I had to work at saying? Because from then on, I helped Jason every Wednesday night for three years. I watched him change buildings. I met more kids. I took more kids home to situations that I would give my eye teeth I didn't have to bring them to. I listened to more stories. I took more to Russ's for a good meal. I went to traded that three years and working with those kids for anything. And that's what came into my mind. I just wonder if Peter kind of felt that kind of, but, but that's not my calling. They're not my kind. We're going to watch as we finish this chapter that Peter has changed so much. And, and this instance changed me so much. Because the gospel message is for everyone, and we don't have to change it for a particular group of people. So follow me as we go on. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Can you imagine Cornelius? He's so excited. So he calls his family and he calls his close friends. And, and as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. King James uses the word worship. And Peter made him get up. And Peter said, stand up. I am only a man myself. And you know, I was, I remembered another time. I remembered another time when, when we were studying Revelation where that must, that was so easy to do. And so I, I looked it up and, it, and it's, 
John himself, he was, he was so taken by the message of the angel. Let me read to you from Revelation 19. When the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, John wrote, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So, you know, sometimes we are so taken by the messenger. And Cornelius, he made this same mistake. He was so taken with the fact that Peter was this apostle. And he fell at his feet, whether in, to worship him or to reverence him. And Peter said, oh, no, no, I am a man myself. Just like the angels said, no, no, I'm not worthy of worship. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. This is where I appreciate, you know, Peter's personality. Because even though his character is changing, he's still the same Peter that makes him unique. And he just addresses that elephant in the room. I mean, I'm sure that when he walks in there and, and he, they all can tell that he is a full-fledged Jew and they're all Gentiles, he thought, well, I might as well address it right away. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? See, Peter knows he's being obedient, but he wants to make sure that they know that maybe they take a look. Why do we want to hear from this Jew? What has he got to say? Are they... Peter's checking, are you willing to listen to what I'm going to tell you? Are you going to be open-minded and open-hearted and open ears? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shiny clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now these next lines, this is what Peter was waiting to hear. And there's so much more than just to open up to the Gentiles. Look at this. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That has got to be the best audience you can possibly have when every one of them are there, not out of obligation, but they're there because they want to hear the truth. That was God's purpose of bringing 
Peter here. Yes, it was to change his heart, and Peter's going to say it right in the, his next opening remarks. But God's real purpose was to stretch Peter and get him into this home of Cornelius so that now in this influential man's heart, he's able then to spread this gospel out through his family and close friends. This message of the gospel, they are ready to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded Peter to tell them. Then Peter began to speak. And I put a huge star in my Bible here because I just don't want to forget this. I think this answers so many differences of opinion and, and what causes such division sometimes in denominations. I even took my yellow marker. I just don't want to miss this. This is how Peter began to speak to people that are different than him. I now realize, see, it took, it took a while, but I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him. Just think, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. <laughs> but accepts men from every nation, from every nation, anybody who will fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Look how in verse 36, you know, you know this. Verse 37, you also know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. It's kind of like verse 38, <coughs> excuse me. In verse 38, it's like, you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and a power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Peter starts this message by saying, you know these things. You've heard. I'm not saying anything new to you. And then verse 39, we are. We are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by, by us who ate and drank with him. After he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. What is Peter doing here? <coughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but I, my voice is doing good, but every once in a while I get this clip, so... I'm so sorry, but um, 
but what is Peter talking about here? What did Cornelius say? Uh, we are ready to listen to everything the Lord has for you to say to us. So Peter opens up by saying, you know, you know. So he's reminding them of what they know. And he's saying, and we, we not only know this, we saw it with our own eyes. We heard it with our own ears. And then he says, after he rose from the dead, he wasn't seen by everybody, but to the ones that needed to have seen him. And then he commanded us to preach this gospel. And then he reminds them that, that God has appointed Jesus to be the judge of the living and the dead. So what's the message of Peter? What did we say last week that even when they did miracles, you know that they were preaching. Philip preached, Peter preached. They made sure people knew the gospel. Verse 43, all the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he's saying, look what the Old Testament prophets prophesied. Look at the story of Jesus. There are so many, there are so many prophets that prophesied about Jesus coming and, and it was fulfilled. And this is where I was thinking, you know what, Peter learned, I can preach. <coughs> I can preach the same sermon no matter where I go. So whether I go to this audience, whether I stand in the temple courts or whether I stand in this Gentile home or whether I stand, if I go to house to house, I can preach the same sermon because the same story is relevant for everyone. Because I now realize, Peter says, how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who will fear him and do what is right. And doing what is right is being obedient to God's word. He will accept anyone. It took me a while, it took me a long time to realize that I didn't have to have a, a different kind of program for, for certain people. Like if I went into this particular denomination, then I sing these songs and talk like this. Or when I go to this particular conference, then I say this. Or when I go into this nursing home or this mission or whatever. All of a sudden, I realized that everyone no matter where they stand, in a social position or whether, whether um, economic position. I think that's why Paul learned that whether Jew or Gentile or male or female or rich or poor, we all stand at the cross of Christ the same. We all need to hear the same sermon about Jesus and what he has come to do for each and every one of us. And the bottom line is, is that we believe in him and receive his forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. I'm sure this was quite something to see the Holy Spirit coming on the Gentiles. This was, this was the opening up of new doors. And then, then, what it's, and then when the Bible says in verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. I went back to Acts chapter 2 and realized that this was such obvious proof that these Gentiles could say, it's the same Holy Spirit. The same thing is happening to us as it did to what we heard happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. So we're all, we're all able to receive Jesus and his spirit and his salvation. Just think, these people, through the power of God's spirit now on them, were able to have spiritual gifts, just like the Jews. They were able to praise God. God and use these spiritual gifts through their lives and their, the change of their lives, just like the Jews. In fact, we're going to watch the Gentiles, like Paul said, because the Jews will not respond, I go to the Gentiles. But this was a very exciting day, I'm sure, for Peter and then to those other circumcised believers it says they were astonished that the gift, this, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even into the Gentiles. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So they ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. What a beautiful story. And in the questions when I, when I asked you, what did the prophets even testify about the coming Messiah? I mean, back in the Old Testament, what did the prophets say? that there would be a savior that would forgive sins through his name. That people could change and be saved. And then I said, how are, you, how are your sins forgiven? How, how's the only way your sins are forgiven? That's why so many times we need to go back to the cross. We need to reunite with Jesus there. We need to realize how precious his blood really is. And then are we willing to go? Because we are so grateful and we love him so much. Are we willing to change? Are we willing to open up our hearts and our minds to God's word and his spirit? I'll tell you, this chapter just leaves me asking you this question can you honestly say that you've had a Damascus experience? Maybe, maybe that's something you need to kind of look at Saul about. 
very religious, but have you had a Damascus experience so that now Jesus can become real in your life and you can start this whole new life in Christ? Again, I say he's not ready to fix a, just a, a broken old you. He's out to build a whole new you. Not just fix the old one, but to build a whole new you. Or maybe, maybe you're like Peter, and it's so easy to watch those weaknesses come back or the old you start coming back. Are you willing to are you willing to just say, search me, oh God? And know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And to know that in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. And something beautiful, something good, all of my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Are you willing to take these chapters and see where maybe you fit in and why you feel that Luke wrote about this particular story or person? Because maybe, just maybe, God's Spirit through Luke wanted you to see yourself and to see what you can be in the name of Jesus. Father, again, we thank you for this lesson. We know that it was powerful and it's truthful. And Lord, we just know that you can work in hearts, hearts that are soft, like Cornelius. We have to be pliable. We've got to allow you to work because we know that hard hearts can dismiss you on a dime. And Father, oh, what they miss. But Lord, may we start to sense that our hearts are pliable and we want more of you. We want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.